Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. They consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Hi, my name is Carrie Seaburn, professional engineer, and this is Unstruct. Unstruct is the podcast where we share the stories from within your walls to help you understand how they stand today. Welcome back to Unstruct. Today we have Kelly Price with Oday Engineers out of North. Providence, Rhode Island. She is a civil engineer, graduated from Lafayette College, and is a practicing structural engineer and also an expert in future world vision. So for our listeners that aren't familiar with this, we're going to back up a little bit. So we have an organization called the American Society of Civil Engineers, which has a membership of 150,000 practicing engineers, civil engineers, structural engineering falls under civil engineering around the world. So this is like our panel, our swath, our collection of professionals within the industry that join this organization. This organization, ASCE, put together a program, which is an interactive program called Future World Vision that has many different facades, but one of them is looking at a mega city in the future in the year 2070. So Kelly is an expert in this future world vision program. And by the way, this is downloadable for anyone. We will give you that information in the show notes, but anyone, general public, whatever, if you are interested in this, you can download it and explore it and experiment with it. So Kelly, thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited for you to share your expertise in future world vision and talk about all things future. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So I gave a very brief introduction on future world vision, but you know a lot more about the intricate details of it. If you could maybe give kind of an overall view of what future world vision is. Yeah, absolutely. So you really captured it. Future World Vision is 
an online platform that was developed by industry leaders and engineers and researchers, and it's presented by ASCE, and it really focuses on the future of our built environment. So over the past couple of years, I believe in 2019 is when it started. Like I said, there was these researchers and industry leaders that have put a lot of time and effort into developing Future World Vision and the Megacity software in particular. So when they first started talking about Future World Vision, they gathered a lot of different people from various disciplines within engineering, within architecture, engineering, and construction, all those professions to come together and identify different trends. And then from there, they narrowed it down to six key trends that included autonomous vehicles, alternative energy, climate change, high-tech construction, smart cities, and then also policy and funding. And then from there, they went through a scenario planning exercise where they identified different scenarios as well related to those key trends, one of which is the megacity. And so that's kind of how they started this like future vision. And then they ultimately produced this megacity software that, like you said, is downloadable and is interactive, not only for the general public, but you can also use VR goggles to kind of dive in even further into guided tours in the city. So yeah, that's, I guess, a brief overview of what Future Royal Vision is and Megacity. Gotcha. So I guess maybe like an analogy to this would be like a meteorologist that is following weather trends, their modeling program to see what's going to happen in the future for weather. This is doing the same thing, but interdisciplinary for many facades of civil engineering and looking into the future to 2070 and following lots of different things. So it's not necessarily the way it's going to be 100%. It's a prediction and a tool to notice and to realize trends, correct? Exactly. And they also have in some of the views in the megacity, different timelines. So yes, it's all focused in 2070, but there are two other timelines that you can check in on to kind of see how things are trending in this future vision. So we start in the year 2020 and you can see kind of trends regarding the climate and resources as well as population growth. And then you can also check in at the year 2045, see how those things change, maybe how things spread out or converge to a city. And then again, it's really focused in that year 2070. And that's kind of where you can dive deeper into that specific year. But there are definitely these more lens broader views that allow you to kind of check in periodically between those years, 2020, 2045 and 2070. Sure. So what do you think, like when you're in the software, what do you see as some of the biggest differences between kind of where we're at now and changes that we will have to adapt to, say, in the year 2070? Yeah. So actually, as part of the scenario planning that went into the megacity or the progressive megacity, was really focused on how urbanization in this future vision, this one scenario, really skyrockets. And it puts a lot of pressure on government and policymakers 
to provide funding to allow for technologies and smarter cities and city planners, architects, engineers to work together. So a lot of funding in this scenario goes to the planners for this built environment to ensure that we are creating clean energy and we're creating smart cities that can function despite larger population growth. And so that was one scenario. And like I said, like in the scenario planning that they did, there were a couple other scenarios that they investigated, which included like dispersed settlements or rural cities. So I guess it really depends on like how you're looking out at the future on you know, how these mega cities are going to progress um, as one scenario. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think I was doing a little bit of research. So the mega city is, it looks like it's based off of a city of 50 million people. And I think New York currently or in 2021 had about eight and a half, nine million people. So you realize that, you know, that's a good five, six times larger than what our current kind of biggest city in the U.S. is. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of challenges and, and changes that come with that. And I think this also looks into climate change as well too, right? And how that would affect our built environment. Yeah, absolutely. And just to touch on the population, like you said, of New York being, I think you said eight, eight million and the mega city being 50 million. So the mega city is not based on a specific city or anything like that. But I do think that some of the research that went into it was if you were to bring all the cities like New York, Philadelphia, and Boston, merge those all in the Northeast, that is kind of a template of what the mega city is a little bit based on. It all converges in one location. And then to get into the climate change, like you mentioned, so the lens views when you first enter the mega city is where you see a lot of those trends on where our climate is currently and what issues may arise or what different climate we may encounter, like warming of our cities and things like that. And then once you dive into the city and the street views, there are different nodes that you can kind of discover along the way. So one related to climate are green spaces in these cities. So it's interesting when you think of a city, you usually think of the large buildings that you find. And yes, there are green spaces in our cities currently, but when you picture a city that's 50 million people, how is there going to be green spaces, you might ask. And in this mega city, there is a focus on having green spaces because not only do people realize that the quality of life is better when there is some sort of green space in this environment, well, the cities also have technologies that utilize this green space to like absorb carbon, for example, or collect rainwater and things like that, that yes, we have some things you know, established currently, like rainwater collection systems and things like that. But those green spaces and the recognition that we need to focus on systems to kind of make sure our environment is still going to be able to handle that massive population, it is a key focus in the megacity. And there are many nodes in the street view that you can interact with that go deeper into some of those other, you know, sustainable concepts or green spaces and things like that. 
Mm -hmm. Well, and as you're talking, Kelly, something that is top of mind to me is, you know, a lot, a lot of times recently or in a lot of projects recently, I've seen biophilia or green spaces interspersed or integrated into building design. And I think in the future, that's going to have to be even more the case because we're not going to be able to have just one level of just open grass ground space, right? Right, exactly. And actually something that's interesting in the megacity that they really investigate is different levels of living in a way. So there's a concept in the megacity called elevated walkways. And you'll notice that some of these buildings are 50, 100 stories tall. And there are elevated walkways, you know, every 50 feet or so that are their own neighborhoods and have their own vegetation and have different collection systems to help with some of our environment. But some people, when they are looking at this portion of the software, one of the discussion points is, well, how are you getting to these elevated walkways and the safety surrounding it? And it, it's just very interesting because everything is tied together. You think about this one thing for the climate and we're doing these walkways that add green spaces, you know, 50 feet into the atmosphere or 100 feet. But then how are we accessing them? Is it safe to be on these platforms 100 feet up? It's just really interesting kind of the discussion that goes alongside of all of this too with these different nodes that you can interact with. Yeah. Well, and super fascinating too, because if we have elevated green spaces, we have to have soil and the soil load is much higher than just a traditional live load for people and furniture and whatever else. So we as structural engineers have to think about that as we're designing as well and make sure that we are accommodating these heavier soil loads that we will have for these elevated green spaces. Absolutely. And also designing the buildings like these elevated walkways might be added later on. So it, it's also brainstorming how we can support them by adjacent buildings or also how we're constructing these. So another thing that's in the mega city that I find pretty cool is obviously autonomous vehicles are being discussed currently, but drones and the function of drones, perhaps in construction. And there is a big focus, like I said, the key trends on the high-tech construction. So when you're thinking about these elevated walkways, are drones now going to be a part of our construction process? Are they transporting materials up to these levels? I don't know. Like, that's something of the future, right? But that's something that the megacity is getting us to think about. Like, we are going to have technologies that we're not aware of in the year 2023 currently that are going to be around in 2050 and we're going to be using like we might have robots that are doing some of our construction like on time without mistakes and things like that it seems like a wild thing to think about right now because that's not the world we're living in currently but it's just really cool to kind of see the potential i guess Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, so that's about 50 years in the future. And if you think about life 50 years ago, we live very differently now than we did 50 years ago. Like, for instance, when we were all having to work from home, we all had Wi-Fi and Internet so that we could do that 50 years ago. That would not have been the case. So, you know, technology has transformed a lot in the last 50 years. So we know it's going to also transform in the next 50 years 
We just don't know for sure what that's going to look like. Exactly. Awesome. So you graduated with a civil engineering degree to become a structural, practicing structural engineer, design engineer. And then you kind of got presented with this future world vision program as well. How has that, having access to that tool, experimenting with that tool and looking in the future, how has that affected or informed your decisions and your design as a practicing structural engineer? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say that there wasn't an expectation with this future world vision software that it would immediately be changing our way of working day to day currently. I don't use the megacity every single day in practice, but I think that what's more important about it is it really gets you thinking about life cycle analysis. Like, where is this building going to be in 50 years? How are we going to be able to make modifications to it in 50 years? You know, do we design for it to have the ability to have four more stories built onto it? And so it really gets you thinking more about the future of our built environment and brainstorming the impacts of your design on the environment and how are we going to accommodate these different things into our infrastructure. So transportation, like how are we going to be incorporating drones? Are we going to have airways now that are navigating at a different level than airplanes, but not on roadways and how are we going to incorporate autonomous vehicles into our built environment so it really is just getting us to think about the future and brainstorm about what problems we might interact with the changes that are coming and try to predict those ahead of time so we can prevent anything bad from happening and work towards this higher technology and the smarter cities Mm-hmm. Well, and I think from a sustainability standpoint, in the past, if things are changing, and if we have to accommodate, you know, that vertical difference, and, you know, if there's things that aren't quite working with a current building, it is demoed, and a new building is built. But from a sustainability standpoint, I think we're figuring out that that's not a great option. So you're exactly right, like the things that we're designing now, like, they still have to function in the year 2070, more than likely. And the other thing that I am finding super fascinating as we're talking, like in 2070, hopefully I am on a beach somewhere in a tropical location and retired. But chances are like you and lots of younger starting professionals are going to be utilizing these building structures and having to, you know, do renovation work or making modifications to existing structures in the year 2070. Yeah. So this could be your real life. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. And that's actually one part of the software that I really kind of clung to originally. The first time I went through it, there's so much information that comes at you and you gravitate to certain nodes that interest you. And something that I've really enjoyed working on is existing building rehabilitation and construction. And so one of the nodes in the software is called modular housing. And it really focuses on building on top of existing historic structures. Okay. So it's it's one of the nodes within this historic core of the megacity, which is one of the two main districts that you can enter into. And it's focused on keeping the historic atmosphere 
and the historic buildings that in 2070 are going to be considered old and then building on top of those but also allowing for flexibility in those materials that we're using or maybe we're augmenting footings with concrete that has different admixtures that we don't even know about currently and that are going to be developed. And so that node in particular on modular housing, the research and the discussion panel really focuses on a timeline that starts with a two-story structure that's set on shallow foundations. But then by the year 2040 and 2050, they want to add two more layers. And so they're creating modular stacked units that have interchangeable parts that are easy to fix up and switch out as things degrade and deteriorate and things like that. And then also by like 2050, they can be using BIM systems to kind of allow users to interact with the, the modular housing before actually changing anything in construction or actually going on site and adding more to it. Mm-hmm. So that was one aspect that I thought was really cool because you're right, we are dealing with infrastructure that we're going to have to either get rid of or work with in the future. And hopefully, if we're thinking about it now, we're going to be able to work with the infrastructure that's there and not have to demolish infrastructure that we're creating now in a hundred years. Right. It would have been so awesome, like in the 1970s, if, (laughs) you know, there was software like this that was available so that designers could kind of have a little bit of foresight as to what it would look like now. Right. And that's also why, and I think we'll get into this a little bit, but why we're encouraging an ASCE is also putting efforts towards bringing this software to the younger generation. I know in 2023, ASCE is planning on releasing a movie. I know they just did the Dream Big movie in the past couple of years. They're planning on releasing a movie called Cities of the Future, Reimagining the World. And it's all about this mega city software. And so that's going to be released this year. They're going to be putting it in IMAX theaters and museums and things like that, again, to try to promote the next generation because Yes, we have to deal with all this now, but also we need to be thinking about those who will be doing the design in 30 years from now, 50 years from now. Yeah, and I think that's so inspiring. And like you said, this is a movie that's put together for the general public, for students in middle school, in elementary school, so that they can start to get excited about where our built environment is going. Exactly. So your future world vision work is like a volunteer thing, but you have realized the benefits of it. So it's implemented into your design practice as well. And I know you have done some work with outreach with future world vision and exposing other engineers to the software. Can you talk a little bit about how you have been doing that? Yeah, absolutely. So this past October, we at our office hosted a ASCE Rhode Island chapter event for the local members to come and learn about this software because a lot of people just haven't been exposed to it yet and then have a discussion about it afterwards, about their initial thoughts and we were able to gather everyone in our office. We have a VR room that has a, a couple of headsets that people can use. And we set up that room with 
three headsets. We set it up with some big screen touch screens. And we basically broke it up into groups. Some people threw on the VR headsets and went through the guided tours to allow you to look around. It's a whole video that uh, has audio with it, allows you to look around at the mega city. And then we also had the big screens set up with the mega city software pulled up on it so people could dive into the different neighborhoods, click on the different nodes, and just kind of look around and get familiar with the software. And then afterwards, we all gathered back into a meeting room. There was, I want to say, 20 of us ASC members in Rhode Island that came together for this. And we had a discussion. Me and three others in my office kind of had a list of questions to get the discussion rolling. But we probably could have been there for two hours just talking about what we saw in the software. And the engineers were really concerned about the feasibility of you know, such a futuristic and idealistic world that seems to be portrayed. But most agreed that with more research and more development and also policy change, that's where a lot of this interdisciplinary aspects come into play. Um, we could have the resources we need to get to a future that's similar to the megacity. So I would say that event was awesome and we would really want to do something similar. We've considered even holding this same sort of event for the general public at a, a venue if we could get the headsets there and get some touchscreens there and just have it so people could walk around in it. And like I said, the discussion that we had as engineers could have lasted two, three hours if we had the time. I think that if you bring it to the general public, there are going to be concerns, but also it is a really cool thing to just dive into to see what is predicted for the future. And then I think that using that as a basis for an event, you can bring it to schools, colleges. Really, the opportunities in my mind are endless for how to kind of share this. And as long as you put it in front of someone, they're going to be able to interact with it. It's, it's really, in my opinion, interesting to most people, like everyone all ages are going to find some aspect that they can relate to or at least find interesting or maybe concerning enough to read more about. Yeah. Well, and, and just like you said, so one, it's a free software. Anybody can download it. But like it doesn't get into the technical things, which is really nice. Like I feel like us as technical professionals can pull out things in there and take it to a technical level. But the interface itself is very easy to use, very easy to understand that you don't have to have a technical engineering background to be able to give input and understand the software. Exactly. And also it just allows for more voices to be heard with that discussion panel. Anyone can add to it that downloads the software. So sometimes I find that I get stuck in my ways when I'm staring at a project, you know, I just see the structure and I'm like, oh, this isn't going to work this way. Or Sometimes you just need a different perspective. And if that's coming from yourself, great. But other people are able to, you know, bring those other opinions and different perspectives to these different problems and hopefully future solutions. So everyone's going to be a part of leading this change into our future environment and the built environment. So I think that, I don't know, encouraging as many people to dive into the software would be great. Yeah, I love that. And I also like it's important to point out that this is malleable. It's iterative. So the software will be continuously changing 
based on input. And the larger the sample, the better the input will be, the better, you know, the better the brainstorming session is, I guess. Can you talk a little bit about how that feedback can get implemented into the software? Yeah, absolutely. So as I had mentioned in the beginning, there were all these different scenarios and the mega city is really what was focused on, but there are other cities that ASCE wants to develop in the future. There's five different cities. So we have the mega city already. There is uh, the start of a floating city and then they want to do a frozen city, a rural city, and an off-planet city. And so I can very well see the comments and the discussions that go into the megacity software playing a role into these other cities that hopefully are going to also be created and have a similar type of software and interaction. So the megacity is the one that, you know, they focused on currently, but eventually that feedback could go into these other cities as well. Yeah, I love that. That's so cool and so fascinating and so awesome that it's free and available for everyone. And we will have that link in the show notes too, so that anyone can get a hold of that software. I just wanted to ask you, so what's like the most unexpected thing maybe that you've found with Future World Vision? That's a tough one. The most unexpected thing. Well, honestly, I'll talk about the first time I jumped into the software because like I said, there's a lot in there. The first thing that I thought of when I got into it was the Jetsons. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, but that was the first thing. And the autonomous vehicles and the drones. And when you go into the VR, you hear the audio too. So you hop into the city and you hear drones flying by and you hear the autonomous vehicles. And it's overwhelming when you first get into it because it's not what you're expecting or maybe it is. But I really thought what was cool is the interaction of all these different systems work pretty seamlessly. And granted, this isn't something that has been constructed or anything like that, but it's been imagined. And if we have this kind of baseline of an imagination of what this future could look like, I think that that's pretty cool. But I definitely will say like, it is unexpected to see the elevated walkways, to see that they thought about wildlife in these cities and where's the wildlife gonna be? And does it end up being in this green space off the side of the city or is it incorporated? You know, are there gonna be squirrels running around on these elevated walkways? I don't know. It's just interesting to, once you get into one node, you find another one right next door to it that's something completely new. That honestly, like I wasn't thinking about robots uh, being a driver of construction in 50 years and maybe having nobody on a construction site. Like that's a foreign concept to me. Mm -hmm. But that's something that when you think about it a little bit further, like you could see that in the year 2070 very well being a, a thing that is implemented it's unexpected it gets you thinking and honestly it it gets me excited to see kind of how this future built environment could be in my lifetime even Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's so cool and i think it's so funny that you mentioned the jetsons because the first time i was introduced to future world vision was the floating city one at a convention 
three years ago, four years ago, whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the Jetsons. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> and it's like this cool thing where like, Science fiction kind of intersects with structural engineering or we gravitate towards structural because that's our area of expertise. But it intersects, it's like science fiction intersecting with engineering in general, I feel like. And that is super fascinating, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you could give Future World Vision a theme song, (laughs) what would it be? Well, you know, I was going to have to go with the Jetsons theme song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just because it really gets you thinking about the future and the possibilities mm-hmm. in an exciting way. Like the Jetsons theme song is exciting. The Jetsons is a cool show. And I think that Future World Vision like really can get people excited about the changes that are to come and not scared of them. Right. I love that. What do you think is the most fascinating thing about Future World Vision? Honestly, I think I think it's the interdisciplinary aspect of our future environment. Like I think that currently we're we operate in different realms. Like there are so many different disciplines of engineering, but also different professions that kind of operate on their own. And yes, we work together, like as structural engineers, we're working daily with architects and electrical engineers and plumbing, mechanical, et cetera. But I think that part of the future is going to be working together as a larger whole. Like I mentioned, policymakers and government, they're gonna be influencers of change. But I also think that civil engineers are going to be huge impactors of change in the coming years. And I think that means that we need to take on another role. Like we as civil engineers, yes, we're designing buildings, but I think that also our voice needs to start to be heard in the public sector, in governments to get that funding and get people's minds on the future of our built environment. And I think that just continues out to other professions as well. Like I really think that in order to get to a future that we are excited about and are happy with, it's going to be bringing everyone together and working together. So I think that's really something that Future World Vision kind of brought up for me and is my big takeaway from it is just the importance of collaboration in design and you know, maybe not always being in the weeds about structural engineering in particular, or this specific connection, but like also thinking about the full life cycle of the buildings that we're designing, the bridges that we're designing, the roads, and how it's going to shape the future. Yeah, I thought you answered that so awesome. Like you give me goosebumps, just the way that you said that is so awesome. And I think it is also, yes, I totally agree that we are no longer just structural engineers. We have to pay attention to policy and as experts in the field, make sure that we are informing our policymakers as to what's necessary to support that built environment. And then I think the other thing is sustainability and climate change. Like this is the first time, like I don't ever remember in my 20 year career, and it could be the case, but just me personally, I don't remember being able to steer the sustainability of a building as much as we can now. And I think we really, as structural engineers, can have an impact on climate change in a positive way by the way that we design buildings. Exactly. And with all the materials that I think we haven't even necessarily discovered yet, just like 
having an open mind to those and including them in our buildings, you know, sooner rather than later. I know codes take a while to turn and change, but I think that the rapid growth in material science, for example, could really help us as structural engineers in some of the materials we're using in our buildings to create cheaper, more sustainable, lighter materials and buildings altogether. So yeah, I think that sustainability is huge and it needs to continue to be a major focus when we're approaching the future and our built society. Yes. So you are doing super inspiring things, Kelly. When you are not doing that, how do you recharge so that you can bring that energy into your career? Well, I really like being outside. So most of the time when I'm not at work, you can catch me being active. In the winter, like right now, I really enjoy skiing with family and friends. But as soon as it starts to get warm, you'll see me outside training for my next race, whether that be running or cycling or hiking or just soaking in the sun. I I like to be outside when I can be. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for being here. You are so inspiring. And thank you also for volunteering and making it part of your personal mission to take on this passion project of looking forward and looking into the future and what we need to do now as structural engineers to make things happen in the future. And thank you also for helping other people understand that and teaching other people about sustainable design and about future world vision for the future and what we need to be doing now. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to share my excitement with everyone. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Unstruct and know someone else who would, please share it with them. And if you enjoy the work that I'm doing here in general, I would really appreciate your rating and review on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to help others find the show. Speaking of finding shows, Unstruct is part of the Gable Media Network, a place where you can find even more content like this. To see the catalog of shows focused on our built environment, visit gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Lastly, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe before you go so that you don't miss the next story from within the walls and how they stand today. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that 
then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day i i, I don't know if it's with everybody but with me i'm always questioning like us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.